Hlu, Kai Hlu, Hedran Hlu. To what's this Dao all about? A lighthearted look at Taoism featuring Dr. Carl Totten and Todd Perry. Carl is the founder of the Taoist Institute in North Hollywood, California. Todd Perry knows a little about Taoism and is mainly here because he owns a few microphones. Now, let's learn what's this Dao all about. Everybody, I'm back. Welcome back to What's This Dow All About? Sorry, little, little Elvis there. Uh, welcome <laughs> back to What's This Dow All About? And today we're going to talk about. I like that. Todd Elvis Presley. Look, girl, thank you very much. I actually, I actually have one tattoo on my body, and it's taking care of business. No, that was his. TC Elvis's symbol. That was his logo. And. I moderate Elvis fan or whatever, not like, like the hugest, but I, I always liked Elvis. But my buddy went to Graceland and bought me a keychain that had that symbol. <laughs> and one night, a friend of mine, over after a couple drinks at the age of 26, said, if you get that tattooed on you, I will pay for it. Huh. And so now for the rest of my life, I have <laughs> Elvis's symbol on my arm. But I, I just think it's funny when I look. Go, oh, that's kind of funny. And it doesn't bother me any. My wife is not a fan. You, you could have done worse. That's right. I should just rename it. it says TCB, maybe like Taoist, you know, something. So today we're going to talk about someone who probably, if he was around these days, would have. Maybe had a couple drinks and got himself a tattoo. <laughs> According to what what I know about him, is a Taoist immortal named Lu Tongpin, and we're going to get to a chapter if we can and some listener mail. Uh, but first, uh, Doctor Carl Totten, what do we know about Lu Tongpin? Well, you know, there's things we know, there's things we think we know, and certainly there's things we don't know. <laughs> right? You know, but you know. Back in the uh, old days, uh, you know, a thousand or so years ago, um, you know, the, the thing about history, particularly Chinese history, in fact, all history around the world, it's generally written from the perspective of the winners of various conflicts, you know, wars and battles. Right. And uh, China, of course, had its share of all kinds of wars and oh, battles yeah. and emperors and warlords and things. And then they would ha write or have someone write their histories. And, of course, they all conflict and so on. Yeah. Because people are trying to get a point across, basically. Right. They're not trying to be honest and truthfully recording history. And even when they are, they, they often attribute things to someone else who has maybe greater status than them. Mm -hmm. And so uh, if I wrote something that sounded kind of halfway profound, rather than say, oh, little silly old me wrote it, oh, Lu Tung Pin wrote this, or the Buddha wrote that, or, you know, so, someone who has more gravitas, you know, wrote right. that. And so it has confused a lot of history. <laughs> it's like how people, people write up memes, and then they say, like, Bill Gates said it, and they share it, but Bill Gates would have never said it, that kind of thing. But... 
What do we know about Lu Tongpin? He's one of the so famous so-called eight immortals of Taoism. In fact, you're up there right there on my wall. Now, what does <laughs> it mean? This. What does it mean to be an immortal? Like it just means that they're elevated or they were actually immortal or what what is what what's the translation? <laughs> well, they they tend to be people who uh, went through some type of struggle or conflict in their life, became enlightened if you will, they awakened, and as a result of their becoming an awakened being, they were said to have moved into or towards immortality. Some of them lived a long time and then maybe wandered off into the mountains and weren't seen again, and so they're thought to be an immortal. Mm. Um, one more recently, I think maybe 150 or so years ago, the founder of one of the Chinese internal martial arts, he actually told his students on what day he was going to pass away, like wow. six months earlier. And then when the day came, he sat in meditation, said his goodbyes, closed his eyes, and left his body. Wow. He just left. <laughs> he just up and he just moved on. Yeah, he just moved on. And this- that, that is actually the ultimate kind of Taoist way to, to, to leave this earth. You sit in meditation and you do what you've done many times, which is just kind of move into a higher astral realm. And this time, though, you simply stay there. Wow. That's how I want to go. That's that that's called ascension. (laughs) That's the preferable way to go. And so this man was uh, he he, I think in his youth, he wanted to be a um, he wanted a position in the government. And as you might know, the Chinese were the first to have kind of like a civil service examinations. Mm-hmm. So it was by merit. And um, he was going to go and, and take his exams. And in his mind, uh, and this was his famous uh, dream. Yeah, I have right here, the yellow millet dream, yeah. they you know, call it. You know, he had this dream you know, where he, he went and he passed his exams and he got this position in the government and he got... Uh, he got married and he had kids and he was successful. Oh, but then <laughs> mm. things turned south and his wife kind of cheated on him and uh, p- other people were turned against him or stabbed him in the back and he wound up losing everything that he had. And uh, and then supposedly, you know, he kind of woke up and went, uh, wow, you know, maybe I should do something else. <laughs> yeah. And that's when he met uh, Chung, this guy Zhong Lichun, who became his teacher, this was another kind of enlightened Taoist who took him under his wing and taught him Taoist cultivation, meditation, qigong, natural living, and helped Lu Tungpin become an enlightened being himself. So it, it's interesting if you break that down. Uh, for many of us, we all have these big, maybe big grandiose dreams or goals <laughs> in life or whatever. And there's, it's a funny thing where many, many people, when they re- reach those goals and dreams they want in life, they still aren't satisfied. Yes. They're still being haunted by the same demons. No matter what, they're still the same person just in a nicer car yes. or in a bigger hotel room or with more money in the bank or with a slightly physically more attractive partner, or whatever down the line, and they still feel the same as they did. And so I guess... And that's because the, the agency, the, the part of our awareness that we're making those choices was the ego. Mm. It was coming strictly out of the brain. 
And when the brain makes choices, you know, there are, everybody is bipolar. Sorry, folks. You're all bipolar. Yeah. Because our brains are split. We have a right brain, a left brain, uh, and, and more than that. You know, we have a forebrain and a hindbrain, a high top brain, a lower rep, rat brain, a reptilian brain. Our brains are split all kinds of ways. And so the decisions and choices and thought processes that come out of a brain like that are not integrated. Yes. They're not well balanced. That's a great word. Yeah. (laughs) There's a lack of cohesiveness in a brain that makes its decisions and choices based on that. That's why in all of these more spiritual practices, there's a practice of meditation, of contemplation, of learning how to actually watch the brain from a higher spiritual position rather than being trapped in this dichotomy of right, wrong, good, bad, and this and that, that the ego-defined left brain particularly operates from. Mm. And so when people are meditating, they're actually are watching their brain, but what part of their awareness is watching the brain? See, it has to be something that is transcends the, that, the, the brain. The eye that knows <laughs> that I, there's some kind of like Alan yes, Watts line. Was like, yes, yeah. and, and so that's why it's crucial, absolutely crucial, that we have a, a meditation type of practice because it, it's quite possible that consciousness actually is outside of the brain. Mm. And the brain is kind of like an antenna that within its limits focuses in on an area or aspect of consciousness that it relates to and thinks that that is what it's thinking. Mm. And And real consciousness is likely much, much wider than that. In fact, we know it is. I was I was once uh, many years ago when I was about 20 I was once uh, in the desert and I don't know I s- must have eaten something that altered my consciousness <laughs> and I was in the and I was in the desert and I noticed I had this you know this very interesting clear feeling that myself was way out there Mm-hmm. You know, and that again, that feeling of being some kind of antenna. Yes. I never knew what it was about or what it meant, uh, but I had this, this feeling that I was like talking to people. I was like, "I'm out there, man." Yes, <laughs> you yes. know, and, yes. yeah. I had that feeling once, but yeah, yes. You know, I t- I study and practice and and teach something called remote viewing, mm. and uh, the U.S. government proved without a doubt in the lab that this capacity actually exist the ability to move beyond to move into what's called non-local awareness where you can be aware of anything that's happening anywhere in the world by the way and outside of time outside of space and time and actually download what's there wow that's amazing it's like connecting to some Jungian subconscious or you know yes yes and our government spent millions of dollars proving that we could do this. Now, of course, they used it for more nefarious purposes. Right. Oh, yeah. You know, they used never... it for military intelligence, of course, <laughs> spying on the Soviet Union. Right. You know, you know, thousands of miles away with psychic spies, right. you know, kind of in the basement of the Pentagon. <laughs> because they were doing it to us first. Right. They, you know, they, they learned the Soviet Union turned their psychics against us because they, they realized that they could see things that they, that 
the U.S. government didn't want them to see. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. And so all human beings have this innate capacity to turn our attention outside of the bounds of linear time and space. Wow. It, and all it takes is training. And, and not that much training. Mm. Very little training. We just have to know that we can do it. And when you know you can do something, guess what? You do it. You can do it. Right. <laughs> whether you think, what was it? Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess I, w- I, was, oh, so I was reading here about uh, Lu Dongpin. Mm-hmm. And I guess it said, uh, I guess Lu Dongpin, I guess he was, he was seen as kind of not, not a perfect man, but kind of a, a, a bit of a, a bit of a kind of a drunk it was kind of, kind of like a drunken poet that was, you know, a lover of women and a man of desire. And he always carried a sword. Yes, I guess it says he carried a sword to uh, to uh, get rid of, to dispel evil spirits. And to dispel ignorance and mm. avarice and uh, the, the tendency of the ego to cling to things. So that's what his sword was really for, was not to kill people. Mm-hmm. but rather to dispel ignorance ah. so that people could go straight to the heart of the matter. Um, you know, the many of the types of uh, meditation that we do and Qigong that I teach are attributed directly to him. Mm. And uh, the practices are designed, of course, to create a, 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 really, a healthy body and a healthy mind so that a person can have long life and good health yeah. and perhaps become like him and an enlightened immortal, right? You know, who transcends and is able to move into ascension consciously, right? Uh, as opposed to the other ways of moving on, which of course are maybe dying and nothing, or dying and reincarnation, or or dying and resurrection, yeah. or this way, consciously ascending into the next existence, whatever that is, right. So I guess Lu Dongbin, in order to achieve immortality, to become one of the Taoist immortals, there were 10 trials that he had to overcome. <laughs> and I, f- I found this online. I'd never heard about it before. Yes. And it's funny. Like, <laughs> like most Taoist stuff, like, especially like Chongsa, there's such an element of humor to it and a beauty in the humor of it. Yes. Uh, and with, within all true humor, there is truth. Yeah, there's a lesson in there. <laughs> yes. So I'm going to read some of these, what we have time for, some okay. of these trials. Yeah, that's fun. So one day, Lou came back from work and found that his loved one was dying. Without sadness or remorse, he started to prepare the dress and coffin necessary for burial. But later, his loved one revived and lived on. Lou was still without sadness or joyous feeling. <laughs> he was just just Lou. Yeah, he's just Lou. You know, he... he, he Anyways, ra- rather than grasping onto an aspect of something that has happened and maybe make yourself feel bad, it, you know, it's not going to change the reality of what happened. No. And that's why I try to tell people, because you can't tell them you have to teach them how to do this. You know, it doesn't, whether something externally we might define as good happened or we might define as bad has happened, if we are attached to that and allow external events to determine how we feel, that's what I call being a slave or right. being a prisoner mm-hmm. to your own limitations of mind. Yeah, your own notions. And so rather, if you're okay, 
then it shouldn't matter what happens out there. You're still okay. <laughs> right. You know? You're okay. And what's, what's the point in emotionally indulging? What do you get out of it? Really? If, you know, if, some, if okay, the person's alive, the person's dead. Uh, of course, you'd experience a feeling of loss or whatever if yes. they were dead or, you know, some happiness that, that they're here. But there's no, there's no real point in getting worked up about, you know, maybe that's just me, but like getting worked <laughs> up about things, you know, just what, what happens next? What do we do now? See, again, this What's back, our next? it's back to the ego, which wants to be right. Mm-hmm. And also it's really connected to, remember, that's, back, back, that's our old ancient reptilian brain that's trying to survive. It's in survival mode. And so it's, it's in that stress. It's, al- it's always responding to something in a stressful manner, <laughs> trying to survive, you know, you know, fight, flight, or freeze. And so if, if our brain and our nervous system is trapped in that loop, that we have no freedom. Yeah. We have no freedom. And also feeling slighted. Yes. That's an ego thing, too. Yes. You know? Yes. Uh, another thing was, Lou was selling goods. I, I, he's a, a, a Chinese man from centuries ago. But I just kind of think of him as like some random guy named Lou. You know, like, you know. <laughs> like from Brooklyn or yeah, something. Yeah, Lou from Brooklyn. I mean, spirituality is spirituality. You don't have to be a robe with, you know, beard and the whole bit. Lou was selling goods at a market, and there came a buyer to bargain with him. After agreeing on the price, Lou handed him the stuff, but the buyer refused to pay in full and then walked away. Lou would not argue and let him walk away. Right? What? A- <laughs> Talk about letting go. Right, yeah. Letting go. You know, maybe he needed the maybe he needed the money better than uh, Lou did, you know. Right. Um you know, it's Again, I, I think many of us have a very difficult time letting go of real or imagined slights. Yes. Again, because it affects our ego. You know, we, we, we want to be right. We want to be respected. Ultimately, we want to be loved. Mm-hmm. Right? And anything that impinges on that makes us feel bad. And then we want to get even. We want revenge. Right? right. We want to... We want to be proven to the world that we, in fact, are justified in what we think and do and behave. Right. Uh, but so does everybody else. Right. <laughs> and so there's going to be clashes over that all the time. And take a look around this world right now, and what do you see all over the planet? Oh, boy. Conflict, clashes. Uh, one man's terrorist is another's freedom fighter, mm-hmm. and on and on and on and on and on. And, it's, and much of it is blowback. Yeah. What we did 20, 30 years ago is coming back to haunt us now, and what we're doing now is going to haunt us later, mm-hmm. and on and on and on. There's no escape from that until you escape by getting off that wheel. Mm-hmm. It's what the Buddha called right? getting off the wheel of death and rebirth. The karmic right? wheel. By, by doing what? Awakening. Mm-hmm. What does the word Buddha mean? Right, The awakened one. Yeah. And Lu Tung Pin, all these, these sages, these Taoist immortals, these are individuals who woke up, got off the wheel, and began to live a life that is deeper and... In, in harmony with the Tao, rather than creating conflict, additional karma and um, uh, imbalances within the Tao. They're, off, they're, off, they're, they're out of that. They're, right. they're not playing that game anymore. Right. And all of these, really what this Tao is all about is, is us thinking about uh, and, 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 and holding in our awareness 
means of moving in that direction so that we can all stop playing that game and become more real mm. and something that is more eternal, mm-hmm. eternal, and therefore immortal. Right. Because all these other things are temporary. Remember, what was the Buddha's primary teaching even, right, about how things were impermanent. Right. The things were impermanent. But there are some things that are not impermanent. <laughs> right. But we have to find those things. And, and, and hold on to them and try to understand them. Yeah. You know? And try to, try to live it and try to become it. Yeah. Lou was once a shepherd. During his tenure, a hungry tiger was eyeing the goats under his care. Lou, was protected, was, Lou protected the goats by sending them down the hillside and stood in front of a tiger. <laughs> the hungry tiger was odd to see this, and left without hurting Lou. <laughs> you know, people have practiced uh, this, this meditation of being in the heart space, a place of unity consciousness. And sometimes, uh, and I don't suggest that you go out and try this, but sometimes people who have been really great practitioners of this skill have had wild animals just come up to them and just literally eat out of the palm of their hands. Yeah. Uh, amazing things happen sometimes. When, you know, that, when, when they, it's a certain energy people have yeah. that the animals respond to. Yes, because the animals can feel and sense it, uh, energy. Oh, yeah. Have you ever had cats around your house? Mm. Don't have, have dogs. And have you ever very, had them? Uh, you can see them. They're responding to things that we, we can't see. Mm-hmm. They can see and feel and respond to energy much better than us. Oh, yeah. They do it all the time. Oh, yeah. All the time. You know, Lutong Ben is the founder of the so-called School of Complete Reality uh, in Taoism. And uh, I think I've mentioned before, you know, that one of the central practices is this, this, this meditation technique of turning the light around. Right. Learning how to use that, again, coming from that field of, of consciousness and using that to see what the machinations that your brain is doing. <laughs> right. So that you don't get trapped and stuck with that defining your reality. Mm. Because reality is this unified field of consciousness that contains the entire universe. And when you're looking at things from the perspective of the entire universe, the little petty things that your brain sees uh, fade into insignificance. <laughs> yes. So I'm going to do just two quick ones real quick here. Right? And people, people can read the rest of these online. Uh, let's see here. Lou was studying at a small mountain hut when a beautiful woman came by and asked if she could stay there for the night since she was lost. It, <laughs> it reminds me of like something... <laughs> You wouldn't believe what happened last night. <laughs> that night, this beautiful lady f- was flirted and tried to get Lou to have sex with her, but Lou was untouched by such temptation. <laughs> uh, Lou was a strong man. He was a strong man. Yeah. He, he supposedly wrote a, a book, too, by the way, that is available to mm. this day, The Secret of the Golden Flower. Oh. The Secret of the Golden Flower, the most... Uh, well uh, thought of by scholars, uh, translation is one by Thomas Cleary, okay. who, of course, has written many, many, many books on uh, Taoism, Buddhism, and uh, similar uh, topics uh, involving Asian studies. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a, it's a great kind of alchemic work on how to do many of these things that we're discussing. Oh, wow. So the secret of the golden flower. Secret of the golden flower. Lou, Lou bought some bronze utensils at a market. Upon returning home, he realized that all the utensils were, utensils were made of gold, and he immediately returned them to the seller. 
He just sounds like a good guy, you know. Look, Lou is a good, honest cat, man. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, he had a mind that was not grasping at things. No, but he was able to see things as they are, and then decide, you know, what he was going to do with it. You know, you know. There's a saying that a Taoist always knows when they have enough. Yes. And if you have enough, then you can share. You can walk away from things that other people spend their entire lives grasping over, fighting over, even killing over. Right. You know, you look again, you look around the world, you know, people are killing each other for things that if we learned how to share, everybody would have exactly what they needed. Right. But we don't do that. Instead, there are people who want to build walls and solidify borders and basically become even more selfish to keep us in one position and them (laughs) in another position. But ultimately, there is no them. It's only us. Right. You know, we're all human beings on this tiny little planet. And it's all interconnected. Yeah. You can't build a, you know, you can't build... You know, walls to to wall off humanity and human connection and human commerce and every, you know it's it's impossible. Let's see here. So let's move on. We didn't on last show. We we're going to do the chapter twenty. Chapter twenty. Yes. It's a very interesting uh, chapter here from the Tao Te Ching. And it is indeed. Let's see here. I've got I've got, got too many notes here. It's a very challenging chapter. It, <laughs> it is, and I think I was reading it, and I said I got to talk to Doctor Carl about this one because. It took a while for me to kind of get at, I guess. Uh, so I, let's see here, Dr. Carl. But I think it, it's really on topic with what we're discussing right now, especially. Mm-hmm. This thing about striving. <laughs> I, th- I think it, it, it speaks to that directly. Yeah. So chapter 20, Lao Tzu says, Give up learning and put an end to your troubles. Is there a difference between yes and no? Is there a difference between good and evil? Must I fear what others fear? What nonsense! Other people are contented, enjoying the sacrificial feast of the ox. In spring, some go to the park and climb the terrace. But I alone am drifting, not knowing where I am. Like a newborn babe before it learns to smile, I am alone, without a place to go. Others have more than they need, but I alone have nothing. I am a fool. Oh, yes, I am confused. Other men are clear and bright, but I alone am dim and weak. Mm -hmm. Other men are sharp and clever, but I alone am dull and stupid. Oh, I drift like the waves of the sea, without direction, like the restless wind. Everyone else is busy, but I alone am aimless and depressed. I am different. I am nourished by the great mother. Hmm. Ooh. <laughs> so. so well, I, there's he, a lot in that one. <laughs> so I, I think I figured, I think I cracked the code on this one. <laughs> so you look at the final line, and Lao Tzu says he's uh, nourished and fulfilled, basically saying he's nourished and fulfilled by the Tao, you know, the great mother. Yes. And therefore, he needs nothing. Yes. He doesn't need to know anything. He doesn't yes. need to be busy creating karma, creating things for himself to yes. do. He is like kind of that, that movie, American Beauty, where there's that bag in the wind. <laughs> he is like the bag in the wind. He's this fish in the ocean just going by. And because he's fulfilled, he doesn't need to be clever. 
He doesn't need to put one over on anybody. Um, That's what I he think he meant when he said there's, you know, there, there was really nothing for him to, to, to learn, you know. Give up learning and put an end to your troubles. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know because, because if we feel that we have to, that what we have and know just by being a fully conscious being is somehow not enough and that we've got to go get something else. Mm-hmm. See, in, in the very thought of having to go get something else, we've kind of lost it. <laughs> it means you don't have it. It means you internally. don't have it. And if you don't have it internally, the only reason for not having it internally is because you're not paying attention. Mm-hmm. You're not accepting what really is already here. And so this giving up of striving, when actually, if we were really paying attention, we'd notice that we actually had pretty much what we needed, I think is at the heart of this chapter. You know, if you, I, I've often said that if you go to some other countries, you know, where people have ver- much less than we do, uh, you know, but maybe they have a little garden so they can eat, they have food, they can go to the river, you know, they, or they have a well, they have water, they, you know, they have their family, they love each other, they live very simply, they're very happy. Now, over here, if that's all that we had, we'd be desperate probably. <laughs> right. and, you know, we need more stock options. Uh, we need, you know, you know, you know we, we need our shares of gold. You know, we need, yeah. you know, we, we need a raise. You know, we need more, more. It's always, that's never enough. We always need more. And as I think I mentioned once before, you know, when you had $10,000, well, you some, maybe when you were 18 or whatever, you somehow managed to live on that. And then when you were making 20000 you managed to live on that right and maybe now you've got a hundred thousand maybe you've got five hundred thousand and somehow you manage to live on that uh or a million or ten million and somehow you manage but yet you keep striving for more and more and more so what was the difference between the person who was living off of uh, ten million or a hundred thousand or ten thousand or five thousand and your needs were met at each level right but yet we wanted more somehow uh, and we spend our entire life wanting more. And that, be, that defines most of our existence. We're rarely satisfied with just where we are and with what we have. And we spend nine-tenths of our lives struggling to get more. Mm-hmm. And when we get it, it's never enough. We want still more. Is that any way to live? No. <laughs> no. Uh, you know, and it's funny. I always think that as an American, in a certain way, from the moment you're born, society promises you a mansion. They yeah. say, oh, you're an American. You know what? You're going to have a mansion. And you know what? Very few people get a mansion, <laughs> right? Or anyone can go up and be the president of the United States. That's right. You're going to be the president, and you're going to have a mansion. <laughs> now, it's a very aspirational society, which that, there's something positive about that, right? But on the other hand, most people don't get that mansion and live no. life very frustrated. Yes. Uh, other parts of the world, like I remember when I was in India and I saw this, and no one in India has promised a mansion, and so people are happier with much less and appreciate mm-hmm. what they have. Yeah. Not to say that there isn't suffering and really dire struggles in that part of the world, but it's a much different mindset. And I always think that that promise that people believe they should have or are entitled to, and they don't get it in this country is a major source of violence, um, 
and and and, and people turning on each other and people thinking the other guy stole it from him yes. and these people are getting treated better than these people and you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. and I think that with if you were to remove that from the American psyche I think you'd have a much more peaceful people I think so um that's a tough one. It's a tough one for us because, like you said, we've been raised from birth believing that that's all right to right. have all of those things. Mm-hmm. And as we are starting to see, and I think that accounts for the, much of the political divide right now, the game is rigged. Yeah. Ooh, Ooh. it's not a fair, it's not a level playing field. Mm-mm. Life is not fair. And the reason for all of the inequities in society is because it's been designed that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we all woke up and realized we're all in this together, uh, we are each our brothers and sisters keepers, and it's our job to help each other, then we would actually begin to move towards this more fulfilled and life-sustaining position that I think that we all sense is somehow missing. Mm-hmm. And it's been replaced by the struggle, the striving for more and more. And, and worse, we think that in order to attain more and more, we have to keep others down mm-hmm. and keep them in a position of being less and less. So you have the haves and the have-nots. Mm-hmm. And it has become so such a part of our society now that people on the far, called the far right, and the far left, they're all unhappy about this. Of course, they come with very different solutions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One side wants to keep what they have even more and keep it away from other people. And the other side is saying, no, we need to share. We right. need to share everything. And so they, they have, they've come to diametrically opposed solutions to the same problem. And, and, the, and yet everybody is kind of suspicioning now, suspecting now that, you know, Maybe this is bigger than it looks. Maybe we're all kind of victims of something that, again, the the hidden hand behind the curtain yes. that is really pulling the strings. We've all been lied to. <laughs> and right? turning us against each other yeah. because there's profit in that. Mm-hmm. There's profit in conflict. There's definitely profit in being sick right. <laughs> and stressed out. Right. You know, the trillion dollar industries <laughs> based on human conflict and misery and despair and these solutions that we're talking about which don't cost a dime oh are very threatening to the to this to this order Mm -hmm. that's profiting from our misery yeah and so my hope is that someday collectively individually and collectively we will begin to awaken and say no mas yeah no more we're not going to live like this anymore We're going to take care of ourselves. We're going to take care of our health. We're going to nurture our our minds, our bodies, and our spirits, and that of our sisters and brothers around the world, because that is what this Tao is all about. Nice, nice. There's a great speech. It was, uh, I think, by Jimmy Carter in, like, 1978 or something, and they later dubbed it the Malaise speech, Mm. where the economy wasn't doing well and all this stuff, and people were coming after Jimmy Carter, and he made a speech essentially saying, you people, 
like condemning the American people, which pissed everybody off. But he was like <laughs> basically saying like we are striving for material things and we are turning away from all this like, like a almost a speech about how we've turned away from spirituality in favor of being materialistic. And you listen to it and you go, This is actually a very beautiful speech. Mm-hmm. You can see why it upset many people. But if you if you look at it, you go, That's one of the most beautiful speeches I've ever heard, and it sunk the guy for speaking yeah. a truth on this man. I know. Yeah, he, he was he was preaching. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nobody wanted preaching. to be preached coming, to. Yeah, he was coming from a spiritual position, yeah. you know, not attached to these the materiality of society. Yeah. And, yeah, people don't necessarily want to hear that. But yet they're struggling because of the materialism of society yeah. and but don't know how to give it up. The people much more want the guy going, you're going to get a mansion. You know, I'm going to do that. I'm going to kick the lazy people in the butt so you can get your mansion. Whereas Lao Tzu says, everyone else is busy, but I alone and aimless and depressed. I am different, but ha, I am nourished by the great mother. Yes. And I like how it says in here, uh, must I fear what others fear? Hmm. What nonsense. <laughs> And it's true because there's almost always some kind of, you turn on the news and the news, you know, if it's an hour long show, they got to fill it with 45 minutes of stuff that freaks you out. Right. No matter what, right. you always got to have 45 minutes of it, whether it's, <laughs> you know, it's some disease that's going to wipe everybody out. <laughs> it's a new boogeyman. It's a terrorist. It's all these things. And, and sometimes you just look and you go. I really need to care about that. <laughs> Everybody's freaked out about something that has really no chance of killing me whatsoever. When, you know, I'm I'm eating a Twinkie right now that's going <laughs> to put me in the grave. You know, yeah. and, and you yeah. know, Y2K and health scares and you know, people are always continually whipped up into the state of hysteria. Remember I said there's profit in that. Yeah. There's profit in that. It's costing us, but there's profit in it for again that hidden hand behind the curtain. Yeah. And um, again, we we need to wake up and uh, and see that 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 more than anything else would change the quality of life on this planet. Just mass awakening of people realizing that this earth is our home. We're living in the garden, mm-hmm. and what are we supposed to do to the garden? Tend it, support it, take care of it, nurture it, and everything and everyone in the garden. That's our mission here on Earth. So our mission, should we decide to accept it, <laughs> is to take care of ourselves and this planet. That's our mission. Simple. And that's what's this Tao all about. Uh-huh.